Welcome to the latest episode of Running the Race Podcast, a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. To find out more about First Baptist Gonzales or for more episodes, visit our website, www.fbcg.net slash RTR. Our speakers today are Dr. Jim Law, Senior Pastor of First Gonzales, and our Associate Pastor, Jared Lamberth. In this episode, Pastor Jim and I discuss the importance of the Protestant Reformation. First, we talk about the significance of the Reformation by answering the question, why are we still talking about this? Next, we consider some of the important developments that came out of the Reformation. And finally, we reflect on several important takeaways from the Reformation that are still impacting the church and the world today. Hi, I'm Jim Law here with Jared Lamberth as we have gathered to um, take on episode number eight, which is the Protestant Reformation. These, uh, This is an unusual setting, Jared, as uh, we're in our new office building, which yeah. we're uh, glad to uh, to be here, but also we have Hurricane Zeta bearing down on us in the Gulf, and not sure how that's going to uh, pan out this um, this afternoon. This is the fourth uh, uh, hit in Louisiana this year, absolutely. And, uh, and this is also the week of um, the Protestant Reformation, the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And so, we're the question could come up: Why, why are you uh, why are you talking about this? Five hundred years later. 500 years later, yeah. Actually, in 2017, there was quite a splash in the evangelical world concerning uh, the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and some very helpful books came forth and um, that were helpful. One in particular was Reformation 500 by uh, Ray Van Est and... Um, and Michael Garrett, uh, that's been a, a tremendous encouragement to me. But I thought it would be important for uh, for our FBCG family to um, go back with us to why this event was so monumental in the history of the world. 503 years ago this week, Saturday actually, uh, an, an obscure German monk by the name of Martin Luther, who was troubled by his study of the Scripture and as he studied scripture and observed the practices of his church uh, on October 31st, nailed 95 theses on the, the church door, the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. He was not vandalizing the church, Jared. Uh, yeah. this, was a, this was a common expression um, to communicate ideas and announcements to, to put it on the church door. And uh, this was a list of grievances and protests to the practices of the church that he was serving. Um, and so uh, what were the concerns of, uh, of Luther's day? Um, he, he was noticing firsthand the drift, the apostasy of, of, of the church at Rome, uh, which was marred uh, by the sale of indulgences. And this is really um, just a, an oppressive thought that uh, an indulgence where you would require uh, church members to pay in order to lessen penalty for their sins or to alleviate the suffering of loved ones in purgatory. John Tetzel, Johann Tetzel, who was a Dominican friar who lived at the time of Luther, um, actually would die a couple years after uh, Luther nailed his theses to the Wittenberg door. Um, he uh, uh, was a major player at that time in selling indulgences. In fact, there was a, um, a phrase, that uh, uh, a jingle that he would use, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, 
the soul out of purgatory springs. Wow. It's just such an unthinkable uh, position when we think about that uh, we could somehow use these material possessions that belong to God anyway to somehow bribe him to violate the penalties of sin that are that are clearly expressed in scripture and that somehow we're going to we're going to buy our way out of a, a penalty that's righteous. Right. I think of Simon, uh, the sorcerer who saw Peter heal, who uh, came and, and tried to capitalize on this power, and Peter rebukes him in no uncertain terms. This is, this is not right. This is uh, wicked. And so even before Luther was burdened uh, by these events in the church, there were some uh, morning stars, as it were, pre-Reformation figures. John Wycliffe was one who lived from 1330 to 1384, and he responded to the medieval church of his day with many of the same complaints. But what we notice about Wycliffe, and then after him, in the 1400s, John Huss, who would be burned at the stake for his um, uh, stand for the gospel and scripture, was how they emphasized scripture in in their ministries and in the life of the church and embracing a systematic preaching and teaching of God's Word in the church of their day. Yeah, and Huss, there's a really neat relationship between uh, between him and uh, Luther, who would come almost exactly 100 years later, uh, if I've remembered the dates correctly, uh, and it, it didn't escape Luther. In fact, uh, many people uh, asked Luther about uh, the similarity of, of the concerns and uh, the, the problems that were uh, brought to light by Huss, uh, whose name is Goose mm. uh, in German, uh, and, uh, and famously uh, Huss uh, predicted that eventually there would be a swan who would not be silenced the way they silenced uh, him, referring to the way the church uh, uh, persecuted and, and, uh, and ended his, his life and ministry. And uh, there's a really great resource. Uh, Piper, uh, John Piper has a, a book series called The Swans Are Not Silent mm. uh, that, that take you through uh, many of those stories. The very first one uh, is a wonderful book, um, uh, The Legacy of Sovereign Joy, which covers Augustine, Luther, and Calvin. Uh, it's, it's bite-sized biography of, uh, of these uh, early, early reformers uh, and just a, a great resource. But uh, he, he talks about how uh, often in Germany— where Luther is depicted, even to this day, uh, there will be a swan in the image mm. somewhere, uh, which is a is a tie back to the common thread uh, of these morning stars, like uh, well, particularly Huss, but uh, th- this idea that these these uh, truths didn't originate, uh, but were carried on uh, from from uh, a previous a previous time. So you know when we look at uh, the the fruit and the gains of the Protestant Reformation. Why would we be talking about this today is because I can't think of anything more relevant than what the Protestant Reformation recovered. The the Protestant Reformation recovered the scripture, which was lost uh, by by the church uh, herself, uh, where um, extra biblical ideas and uh, theologies and beliefs um, choked out the biblical truth, and there was an emphasis on experience, emphasis on uh, extra biblical um, remedies for uh, the need of the human soul. And so when Wycliffe and Huss and Luther and Calvin and Knox, who uh, took this um, um, effort to 
to, to such an intense level through the 16th, 16th century Reformation, a recovery of Scripture, a recovery of the gospel, and really a recovery of the church's mission. Mm. And I think that's so important today when you look at the, the whole idea of um, how do I, as a believer, find a church? What do I look for? You know, and I, I would think at the heart of it would be, I, I want to go to a place where the Bible is central. Right. Where the gospel is is uppermost in what they're talking about. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that the church is committed to the great commission of, 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 of what that Christ left us. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I would think that this would be the the reason that 503 years later that we're talking about this. Uh, I think uh, regularly, you know, just uh, when, just this week, uh, reaching out to those who have visited our church, and I like to give them a 90-day challenge, Jared, as you know, <laughs> right. and you've heard 10,000 times, but um, that, you know, come be with us for three months, which I think is a good challenge for, you know, a churchgoer today. Come be with us for three months and ask yourself basic questions. Am I learning more about the Bible here? Is this church pointing me to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And do these people love one another? And are, are they committed to, you know, sharing that with not only within the church, but in their community and to the ends of the earth? Right. So for me, the Reformation is uh, a tremendous, has had a tremendous impact on how I even view ministry. Um that it, it, you know, when it comes to the ministry of the church, the the call is not to be creative, sure, but to be faithful. Yes, yeah. I think uh, when we consider the Reformation, there's so much that um, that we see coming out of it in the life of the church, but even even in the world. And I know we'll get to, we'll get to some more of these, but just just life in general. That um, we we still to this day talk about Protestant work ethic. Hmm. Uh, we we talk about um, uh, some of the some of the nations that were involved uh, with all of the the, the goings on uh, with Luther, and particularly, but, all, but certainly also with with uh, Calvin and Zwingli as well. Um, but just thinking about uh, what uh, Luther accomplished uh, in in his translation of the of the Bible, yeah. uh, giving uh, Germany a united dialect. Um, which really influenced the German language strongly. Uh, there's just a thousand things that come out of this period that are so significant. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, not not just the a copy of the scripture, but a forging forth of a theolo- a theolo- biblical theology yeah. that's not based on um, the traditions of man, councils, popes that often contradict themselves, to right. quote Lu- Luther, the Diet of Worms. I- I'm thankful, too, for the legacy of catechism. And in you know, our culture now, catechism is often exclusively linked to the Roman Catholic Church. But right. Martin Luther and the Reformers were, were f- uh, faithful in catechizing their congregations and, and their children. Mm-hmm. Luther would preach to his uh, six children— um, on Sunday afternoons, and um, would catechize them in doctrine. And uh, I remember hearing um, uh, the, 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 the reading the story of his um, his daughter Magdalena, who be- became deathly ill and died. And she said to her father on her deathbed, "I'm not afraid, Papa. 
uh, for if I die, I will go to be with Jesus. Wow. You know, and to the assurance of sound doctrine, how that impacts life, all of life. Yeah. You know, just uh, you mentioned the, the, the Bible and the common language, uh, the clarity uh, on the mission of the church. Calvin sent many missionaries out from Geneva. Luther likewise sent others out uh, for the, the spread of the gospel. Um, you know, so one of the, I think one of the criticisms of, um, of you know, such an emphasis uh, is that somehow we're venerating men, sure. venerating, you know, historical figures. What's your take on that, Jared? Well, all of these men are sinners in need of a savior. Um, what we're uh, celebrating and remembering is the effect of, uh, and the lasting effect of something that God brought about using them as as His tools. And so, uh, of course, these men uh, uh, have different failings. Even if we look at, at at many of the doctrines that they were familiar with and and hung on to, um, we would we would have disagreements with like what. Um, uh, infant baptism might uh, be one. Soul sleep. Soul sleep yeah, would be Luther. certainly, yeah. And so there are different, we're not saying that these men are perfect by any means, but that they were, they were uh, taking long, powerful strides uh, in a restoration of truth in the church that was so important um, uh, for that time and, and for, the, for all of us who came after them. Um, and uh, certainly we don't want to venerate uh, men who L- Luther... Uh, in fact, uh, it's one of the uh, more uh, entertaining parts of uh, that little book that I was talking about earlier. Uh, there are some great quotes from Luther, and you just think, man, this guy just was constantly getting himself in trouble, you know, with with the statements that he would make, um, you know. And so we we know that uh, there that there were problems, there were there were wars that or big battles that came about uh, over some of these uh, different things, and so certainly we're not. Um, we're not venerating any of that, um, but rather celebrating the recovery of the truth that um, was so important for moving forward in the church. Yeah, um, you know, I think that's uh, that's that's well said. Um, you know, Luther was um, uh, antagonistically um, uh, anti-Semitic. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, just which is and called for the burning of their synagogues. You know, which is we, wow. we, would, we would reject out of hand. Mm-hmm. But what does this say, Jared? You know, this kind of behavior and this kind of legacy—the the legacy of the Protestant Reformation, which we've outlined briefly—what uh, does this say to the cancel culture mentality of our present um, sure, circumstances? That, uh, you know, if there's any fault in uh, in any of your uh, legacy at all, we we rub you out of the pages of of history with our eraser. Uh, because we can't accept anything that you say because uh, we sit as judge and jury in in our time about what was acceptable in your time, which of course is incredibly dangerous because you can't then learn the lessons of history about what was good and what was bad. Right. You and you become uh, what you know. You embrace the fallacy of chronological snobbery that yeah. C.S. Lewis <laughs> often referenced, to where you think you're the smartest generation who's ever lived, and you. you, you you're so pristine in your virtues and morals that you can stand in judgment over others. And we would certainly reject out of hand uh, these excesses and uh, these sinful responses to the Jews. And he, it wasn't only the Jews, the Anabaptists and uh, non, uh, you know, other, um, uh, other Christian groups. Uh, but uh, Luther um, was steadfast in holding up 
in recovering the gospel. We've talked about scripture, but also the gospel. Yeah. And he taught that salvation and consequently eternal life, they're not earned by good deeds, but they're received as a free gift of God's grace. Um, and that by faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to the sinner by yeah. faith in Christ alone. Mm-hmm. And this is a tremendous um, um, doctrine, this justification by faith, declared legally righteous before God as God imputes the righteousnesses of his son uh, to our behalf. Yes. And so, um, you know, this was uh, at the heart, the hinge on which the whole door of the Reformation uh, turned yeah. And so this was at odds at Rome. You can understand, you know, where relics were emphasized and um, rituals were uh, uh, emphasized, uh, the, the whole uh, sacerdotal uh, system, you know, which brings us to a major, uh, another major doctrine, and that is the priesthood of all believers. And so, you know, w- what would you have to say about that? Yeah, just that uh, this idea that, um, uh, that, that Jesus is our priest. He's, he's a better priest. Uh, he's a sufficient priest. Um, and that we, we, while we're encouraged in the scripture to confess our sins one to another, we don't see the establishment of a, of a new Testament priesthood other than the idea that, uh, the work of the Holy spirit in every believer, um, to, to confess sin before Holy God and, and to receive the forgiveness that's offered by Christ. Um, and that, that certainly had a huge impact on, uh, how the church was viewed. And, you know, when you look at a believer, every, every believer in Christ is a believer priest and is set forth to, for love and good deeds for the glory of God, yeah. that, that you see the kind of the domino effect there that um, affects every aspect of life, whether, to quote Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And so the Protestant work ethic that uh, has... has uh, impacted this country tremendously. Sure. Rightly understood, a work ethic that I do what I do for the glory of God. Yes. I make my bed, I mow my grass, I make my sausage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the for the glo- for the glory of God. That transforms your worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so this uh this this doctrine destroyed the the clergy laity distinctive that is held in, in Roman Catholic thought and um, in many other thoughts. So uh, it's commonly um, ident- the theological gains of the Protestant Reformation are, are commonly identified uh, in f- with five distinctives, five solas. What are, what are those? The, there's uh, sola scripture by scripture alone, uh, sola fide by faith alone, uh, sola gratia, uh, by grace alone, solus Christus, uh, Christ alone or through Christ alone, and then uh, sola dea gloria, uh, to the, the glory, glory of God the alone. Glory of God alone. Yeah. So uh, this that's a great sum and uh, a summary of of what the reformers um, um, uh, sent forth and preached forth is uh, that it is in in Christ alone. Yeah, and um, that uh, uh, these five solas. Why would you think this would be important for church life? 
Well, I think it's uh, a great summary, and and we've asked the question here before, uh, even just preaching through these these solas. How do you uh, how do you have five different alones? Is it alone, or are there five? <laughs> and uh, but it's an important way of um, of uh, almost like the facets of a. Uh, of a of a gemstone of some kind, you're you're looking at one particular angle to say, okay, how how is one justified? Okay, how does that justification come? To what purpose is it is it accomplished? Those are the questions that are that are being answered by these five different uh, these five different alone statements. And so, um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not justified by anything other than faith. There's no work that I can do uh, that would accomplish mm. anything uh, in my justification. How does that? How does that come? What well, comes by grace alone? Uh, it's God's good pleasure and His unmerited favor on me uh, that causes that to uh, to happen. Well, who who accomplishes that? Uh, well, that's it's it's Christ alone. It's uh, it's only uh, able to be done because of the the, the work that Christ did uh, on on our behalf and for the uh, and for the purpose of uh, of the Father and then um, who who does it benefit was well, God's glory alone um, and then uh, Scripture alone is the sufficiency of Scripture alone it's not any other uh, there's not any other authoritative uh, documents or councils or anything that are needed for right Christian living and so each one of them answers a different question or views the, the, that uh, from a different angle, um, but they're, they're so important even to this day for us to, uh, to focus on those uh, distinctives in our, in our preaching and teaching in the church. And you know, as you look at the Reformers' theology, what emerges too through the study of Scripture is that God is sovereign mm-hmm. over the affairs of men and uh, over the affairs of history. He's sovereign, and we see his uh, sovereign grace on display as well, as the, the Reformers had much to say about doctrines we often ignore, like election, mm. predestination. It wasn't everything they had to, you know, they, they weren't uh, out of balance and fixate, fixating on these things, but through their study of Scripture, these things emerged to where we must understand these things, and... Um, it's not a man's Christianity is not a man-centered uh, quest, right. but a God who has sovereignly worked uh, in redemptive history to bring all things to conclusion in Christ, and to, to hold that up, that um, that sinners are called to uh, flee to Christ, that they might uh, know His um, healing and forgiveness, and to receive eternal life, which is a present possession. Mm. You know, I think maybe just in Bringing this to a close, uh, Jared, um, in addition to the theology, the gospel, and the mission of the church, w- another aspect of um, the reformers that uh, had great impact was in the area of church music. Mm-hmm. Their worship, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think of um, Bach, who at the end of uh, his music, musical pieces, he was so prolific, uh, Sola Deo Gloria, mm-hmm. uh, at the end of them. Uh, to the glory of God alone. But Luther wrote a number of hymns, and the most famous is A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which he based on Psalm 46. Um, that, um, that goes this, this way. I thought it'd be good to maybe just close our um, reflections on the Protestant Reformation with these words. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood, 
of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth is his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours, through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Amen. And so they sang, and so they saw uh, the word of God spread rapidly, even to us 503 years later. Mm. Thank you, Jared, for reflecting with me on the Protestant Reformation, and may God continue to do a work in our generation. Yes. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Running the Race podcast. We hope you'll join us again in a couple weeks for our next discussion. And don't forget to share the podcast with a friend you think might find it helpful. Until then, you can visit www.fbcg.net for more information about our church and ministry. And again, thanks, God bless, and goodbye for now.